Good morning. Uh, just a reminder, following our second service today, we'll be having a voters meeting and there will also be a light luncheon provided. We have uh, several important items we'll be discussing and making decisions upon at this meeting. So if you are able to come back for it, it would be greatly appreciated. Uh, also, the uh, youth group is having a barbecue fundraiser uh, to uh, support their uh, trip to the National Youth Gathering. We were going to end it last week, but we decided to extend that one more week. So if you are interested in purchasing some barbecue and supporting the youth, there are order forms in the back here in the Narthex and also downstairs in the Undercroft up uh, by my table during adult Bible study. We also have some forms. Uh, the only other thing I want to remind uh, the congregation is that every Wednesday we have a 2 p.m. service. Uh, we had to cancel these the past couple weeks because I was at a pastor's conference, but we will resume it this coming Wednesday at 2. Uh, these are really nice services. The uh, worship service lasts about a half hour. It's a divine service spoken. And then we have a half hour Bible study. And right now we're studying Second John. So I just wanted to remind everyone of this and to let you know that we will indeed be starting it again this coming Wednesday. The Old Testament reading for this, the fourth Sunday after the Epiphany, is from the 18th chapter of Deuteronomy. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth. And he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. This is the word of the Lord. Our epistle reading is from the 8th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. 
Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the first chapter. They went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The people in our gospel reading had just been to John the Baptist. They had been washed in the Jordan River in that water and made clean. And today they're sitting in the synagogue listening to Jesus. And they love what he's saying. Jesus' words were washing over them. His words to them made them feel like God was right there in front of them, caring for them, which is true. God was right there. Jesus was right there. And the people loved it. But not everyone loved it. There was a man in the synagogue who felt differently about Jesus. The scriptures say he had an unclean spirit. When John the Baptist was baptizing people for the forgiveness of sins, that water made the spirits of those people clean. The forgiveness washed over them and they now had clean spirits. But this man in the synagogue was different. He had an unclean spirit. This man did not go down into the water in the Jordan because this man enjoyed his sins. This man would have actually made fun of all the people coming to the Jordan, mocked them, ridiculed them. This man who had an unclean spirit refused to be made clean. This unclean spirit had woven around this man's heart and made him hard-hearted, mean-spirited. He was quick to judge, quick with temper, and he was sitting right there in the church church is made up of sinners and saints. Not that there are two categories as if sinners are on one side of the aisle and saints are on the other. We are both sinner and saint at the same time. And here we are, sitting in the church. We might think we don't have much in common with that man in the synagogue. That man in the synagogue had an unclean spirit. It it literally meant his spirit was dirty. It meant he refused to allow God to wash him clean. 
It meant he refused to leave his sin and be born into a new life in God. As Christians, we are to live a daily life of repentance. Every day we should allow Christ to wash our unclean spirits and refresh them once more with the Holy Spirit. But the question is, do we always allow God to do this? Or do we fight him sometimes? Sadly, there are times in our days when we are tempted to remain dirty. There are times we are tempted to remain unclean. We might have more in common with that man in the synagogue than we realize. We Christians should always be careful. The devil likes nothing more than to pull a Christian away from their life in Christ and to have them return to this life, chasing after the pleasures of this world that don't last forever. Pleasures that die the moment we die. Instead, we Christians are invited to live a life in Christ in which Christ is constantly drowning that old Adam, killing that unclean sinful nature, and giving you a new life every single day. We may not have a demon inside of us like that man in the synagogue, but I think we know what he was going through don't we? We know what he was going through because we go through it too. Jesus stood in that synagogue in Capernaum and the people who had been washed, who were repenting of their sins, loved what Jesus was saying. God was standing among them. It was like heaven on earth. The demon-possessed man, the man who had an unclean spirit, was interrupting Jesus, trying to stop his words, trying to kill his message so people couldn't hear that beautiful gospel. But Jesus wasn't going to have any of that. So Jesus shouted out at that man, be silent and come out of him. And as that man convulsed and the spirit shouted, it was forced to come out of him. It was forced to leave that poor man. And believe it or not, this is still happening today. When we have a baptism, I almost always follow the baptismal rite Martin Luther wrote. And in that rite, there is actually an exorcism. There is an honest exorcism I speak. So you can go and tell all your friends that we do do exorcisms here at Zion Lutheran Church. Very happily. Because in that baptismal liturgy Luther wrote, the pastor was to lay his hand on the head of that baby and speak the authoritative word of Jesus, depart unclean spirit and make room for the Holy Spirit. I've never had a baby suddenly start to writhe and shriek when I spoke those words, but I don't need that baby to do it because I know Jesus is doing the same thing over that baby as he did to that man in the synagogue. That man in the synagogue, when he had the unclean spirit, asked Jesus, did you come to destroy us? And Jesus' answer was so simple and clear. No, I didn't come to destroy you. I came to save you. 
Jesus is still saying those same words over all of us today. Because when Jesus comes here in this church, speaking his word to you, he doesn't come to destroy you. Even though the speaking of the law may feel painful sometimes, he's not here to destroy you. He's here to save you. So when our hearts are sometimes hard with each other, when we may rush to judgment against each other, when we're impatient with each other, Jesus comes and reminds us that unclean spirit in us doesn't have to be a part of us anymore. All we have to do is look at Jesus. Jesus is God in the flesh. He, of all people, could have had a hard heart with each and every one of us. After all, we fail him time and time again. But does he? No, Jesus doesn't come here to slap you around. No, Jesus chooses to embrace you, to show you that he came in the flesh to show you how very much God loves you. Loves you so much that he came to die on a cross so that we could live. Jesus doesn't come to destroy you. He comes to save you. And one way Jesus saves us is by rescuing us from our very selves. We really can be our own worst enemies sometimes. This unbelieving world wants us to fulfill the desires of our flesh. And whether that gratification comes in sexual immorality or greed or the love of all the stuff in this life, or pride in thinking that we're better than others. None of those things have a place in your life. You know that, don't you? And Jesus knows we wrestle with these things. And he's disappointed when we give in to the sins of the flesh. But he doesn't come to destroy you. He comes to save you. And when we do sin, especially when we sin with that old, unclean spirit, the old Adam, Jesus comes to you, takes your hand and reminds you the cost it took to save you. It cost Jesus his own life to save just you. And Jesus doesn't mind that. And Jesus never regrets saving you. You mean that much to him. But what Jesus does want is to take that unclean spirit away from you and to wash you clean every single day. And Jesus will do this for you every day of your life. This is just what Jesus does. Because he wasn't born in the world to destroy you. He was born in the world to save you. And thanks be to God, he has. Amen. And now may the peace of our God, which surpasses our understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.